Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. So y'all like that video, I guess. All right. Uh, My name is Chris. You guys probably already know that. Some of you, I've met some of you, some new people here this week. And uh, we're going to dive into part two of our Relationship goal series. If you're watching online, we're excited that you're with us this morning. Uh, But before we do, we wanted to take an opportunity and just pray for one of our fellow churches in town. Uh, I'm I'm very thankful for the the other great churches in our city. And and man, we are part of a, a kingdom movement, not just a movement about one church. And I'm excited for Adventure Church. Uh, Greg Manser, he's the, he's the pastor there. And uh, they are moving into a new building today. Uh, they purchased a building. I know they, they have been working for several years to get into a new building. And so they have finally gotten to a new building. And today, in fact, I think they're actually meeting in the parking lot of that new building today because some of the things are already inside. But we want to just take at the beginning of our time and we want to pray and thank God for how he supplied for Adventure Church. And we just want to pray that God would fill that building and that he would use that building uh, in his kingdom in this city. And so uh, would you just, you know, bow your heads and close your eyes And uh, let's just pray for our friends at Adventure Church. Lord, I thank you for Pastor Greg. I thank you for Adventure Church and, Lord, the ministry that they've had in this city for the last 10 plus years. And, Lord, we're so thankful for how you have, uh, just in your sovereign hand, Lord, been so generous to that church, Lord, and you have provided for them a building that I know from talking with Greg over the last few years That's been a struggle, and uh, Lord, you have provided something uh, above and beyond what they could have asked or thought, and so we're thankful for that, and I pray that you would guide them as they do some remodeling. I pray you would guide them as they prepare that building, and I pray you would provide the funding that they need to get everything done in that building, and Lord, we pray that you would fill that building and that many, many people would come to know you because of what you're doing there at Adventure Church, Lord. And we're so thankful for the community of churches in this city. And uh, Lord, thankful for the unity uh, between several of them and just the kingdom-mindedness. And Lord, I pray that we at City Walk would be cheerleaders for other churches and that we would be excited about what you're doing in our city. In Jesus' name, amen. This past week... Uh, Josh and I, um, some of you know Josh, uh, he's our new next-gen pastor. Josh and I, we went to Las Vegas, and I was telling people this morning, we, we didn't win any money, uh, so I was hoping to buy a building for the church. Or no, we didn't play any games that would buy us any money, but we actually went there for a conference. Uh, we went there for a church planting conference at a church called Hope Church uh, there in Las Vegas, and, and while we were there, we, we had a chance to, man, we learned a lot. 
Uh, we got a chance to meet a lot of church planners from around the country. We got a chance to meet with some, some churches that had been around for a long time and just got a, a chance to really hang out with some great people. And as we, as we did, as we got to meet people, we, we got to hear about their families. Uh, we got to hear about, man, some of them had been married way longer than us and, you know, had children. And, and it was just really good to just meet so many and hear what God was doing uh, around the country through the different churches that they represented. And then on our last night that we were there, kind of the conference was coming towards the end. Uh, Justin McKay, who's a church planter in Denver that our church actually supports, uh, Justin asked Josh and I, hey, do you want to go and have some steak at one of those Brazilian steakhouses? And I was like, yes, yes, yes. I mean, yes, of course. And so we went out to dinner with Justin uh, the last night we were there, and, and man, we ate, had a great time. And then at the end of our time eating, the waitress came and said, hey, do you want to get some dessert? And we're like, well, we'd have to like mortgage our house to pay for these pieces of cheesecake because it's super, it was like the desserts were super expensive. So we're like, is everybody like in the mood for some ice cream? Let's just go. And in our mind, we're thinking, let's just go like find a Baskin Robbins and just have ice cream and not pay like bazillions of dollars for a dessert. So we did. So we decided, man, let's go. And we went and the restaurant we were at was right near the Las Vegas Strip. And so we found a Ben and Jerry's right in the near Caesar's Palace. And so we went. And so we, I had never been to the, the Las Vegas Strip. And so we went and and you've been there, many of you, and, and you've, you, know, you, you walk through that and you see these huge, beautiful uh, hotels and there's so many lights. And, and as we were walking, we were walking among the crowds, it was such a contrast to the people that we had met at this conference we were at, uh, to say the least. Uh, it, it, was, it was a contrast. Uh, it, instead of health, man, we saw a lot of emptiness, uh, instead of deep, loving relationships, we saw evidence of a lot of shallow, destructive relationships. Uh, instead of joy, man, we saw brokenness mask as happiness. And, and as we walked, and man, we ended up getting ice cream, and the ice cream ended up being as expensive as the cheesecake. Like, my goodness, we paid, like, four people got ice cream, it was 40 bucks. Like, okay, next time we won't go there either. But, but as we walked around there, it was, man, it was heartbreaking to just see and just look into the eyes of, of different people. And, and, and you know this, you don't have to go to Las Vegas. You don't have to take a trip there to, to know the difference between healthy and unhealthy relationships. I mean, you, you in your own life, maybe in your own life, or at least in, in the lives of some of the people that you've been close to, you have examples of healthy relationships, and you probably have some examples in your life of, of what unhealthy relationships look like. For some of you, man, you've been hurt deeply because of some of the unhealthiness in relationships around you. And so you, you don't have to go on a trip to realize, hey, this is what a healthy relationship looks like, and this is what an unhealthy relationship looks like. We, we have examples of that. But, but here's what I know about you, and, and you know this about me. No matter what your background is, it relates to faith. No matter if you're married, if you're single, if you're dating, if you've been divorced, that doesn't matter where you are, every single one of us wants to have healthy relationships. 
And so the big question that we, we kind of introduced this past week was, I mean, it's an obvious question is, hey, how do I have healthy relationships? If I'm single, if I'm dating, if I'm married, if I'm hoping to get married, like what does it take to have a healthy relationship? And, and we said this last week, for most of us, immediately we go to some what's. And here's what I mean. Well, if we maybe have a little bit more money, that would help us have a more healthy relationship. Maybe, maybe if we went on some better vacations and we spent more time together and kind of had more fun, that would help us have a healthy relationship. Maybe it's, hey, if we, we probably need to get God in this thing a little bit more, and so we're going to kind of connect with the church a little bit more often because I think that would probably help us have a healthy relationship. Or maybe it's Man, if we could just settle down and maybe buy a house and just kind of settle in, and, and, and if we could do all those things, I, I think our relationship would be healthier. But, but here's what you know, and here's what I know. Every single one of us knows people, and maybe we are those people, that have all those things going, and they still have unhealthy relationships with their spouse or in their dating relationships. They, they have all the what's. They, they check all the boxes. They have a little more money. They go on some nice vacations. They even go to church a couple times, at least a couple times a year. And so, man, they, they've got all these things going for them, but yet there's still a lot of unhealth in their relationships, in their marriage, in their dating relationships. And here's what we said last week. Maybe the answer to how do we have a healthy relationship has nothing to do with the what and everything to do with the who. And, and here's how we said it last week. The health of my relationships is determined by who is at the center of them. Let me say that again. The health of my relationships is determined by who is at the center of them. And there's really three choices as it relates to who's at the center of our relationships. There's, there's me, like, like you, me, like we, we can be the center of our relationships. And if so, then probably that relationship is characterized by selfishness. Or you, we can put other people. Other people can be at the center of our relationships. And if, and if that's the case, then probably those relationships are characterized by fear. And there's a fear of man. And man, I want to please people. And so I don't, don't want anybody to be mad. And so we put someone else at the center of our relationship. And we're characterized by fear. Or we can put Jesus at the center of our relationships. And in that case... We have relationships that are characterized by freedom. So, so the question is, let, let's be honest, like who, who's at the center of your relationships? If you're, if you're married, like who, who's, who's central to your relationship with your spouse? If you're dating somebody, if you're engaged, who is the central person that that relationship kind of is built around? See, and let me, let me get more specific. What if we got really specific this week and we asked this question? Who's at the center of the communication in your relationship? Let's, let's talk about something really practical. Who's at the center of how you communicate in your relationship? See, communication and what is at the center of it must, it must have been a big deal to Jesus 
And it, must have, it actually must have been a big deal in, in the house he grew up because both Jesus and his brother James talk about communication and, and the importance of it. So I don't know if like Mary sat him down on a regular basis and like, boys, let's get this communication thing right. And I, she, because both of them talked about communication and the importance of who was at the center. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. He said, for the mouth speaks... From the overflow of the heart. So, so Jesus, what did you mean? Pretty self-explanatory. What comes of my, out of my mouth comes out of my heart. It's an overflow. It spills out from what's on the inside. It spills out from who's at the center. If I'm at the center and, and my selfish kind of wants and kind of who I am is at the center, then that's going to show itself. If you're at the center in my relationships, then that's going to show itself in how we communicate. If Jesus is at the center, it's going to show itself. James, Jesus' brother, who for a long time didn't believe that his brother was God, didn't believe that his brother was Messiah. I mean, I mean what would your brother have to do to convince you he was God? So you, you put yourself in James' shoes, and so for a while, he didn't buy it. He thought his brother was smoking crack and like, no, man, you're, what are you talking about? But what really turned James' mind and what made James later call his brother his Savior and Lord was after Jesus rose from the grave, he saw James. And so James saw his brother who had died on a cross risen from the grave. And so that was the catalyst to him saying, yes, I'm going to follow you. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. And here's what James said. James, in, in chapter 4 of his letter, in verse 1, he asked a question. He says this, what is the source of wars and fights among you? So, so he, he starts with the question, and then he answers his own question. But he says, hey, What's at the source of your arguments? What's at the source of your issues in communication? This, this anger that you have, all these things that you do, what's at the source of them? And for most of us, let's be honest, when we're asked a question like that, like, hey, why did you say that? Why were you so rude? Why have you treated that person that way? For most of us, we're not saying, well, just, you know, it's because what's on my heart and I need to repent and that's on me. Most of us, let's be honest, and I, I put myself right in this boat, we are pretty quick to come up with excuses. We, we, we come up with this excuse, like, well, it's the, we blame the other person. Well, if they weren't so impatient, if they weren't so selfish, if they weren't late, I wouldn't have talked like that. It's, man, if they would have got their stuff together, I mean, I, I couldn't help it. Or, or we blame circumstances. Like, hey, you know what? I've just been working so many hours, and the traffic on the way home was outrageous. And so, man, I, I can't help it. I just kind of blew it when, when I talked to you. Or, or we kind of blame how we were raised. Like, you know what? My dad never told me I love. He never said I love you. And so, you know what? That gives me the right to be a jerk to you. And we blame it. And all those things are legit things. And I, that's sad if all those things are true. But let's be honest, man. When somebody kind of comes at us like, hey, why were you like that? Why did you treat them like that? Man, we are pretty quick to come up with an excuse. But James, he, he doesn't let us off the hook. He kind of answers his own question. 
So, so what's, the, what's the source of your wars, the fights, the arguments? What is at the source? And he says it this way. He says, don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? James says, hey, stop, stop blaming the other person. Stop blaming that, oh, the traffic was bad. Stop blaming your, your dad. Stop blaming you know, however you were brought up. Because the answer to the question, the reason you treat people the way you drew with your mouth, the reason that you have those arguments, the reason that the catalyst to all that is what's going on inside. It's who's at the center. That word passions is the the same word where we get the the word hedonism from. And so hedonism is the the basic idea where it's uh, where my goal in life is pleasure. My, my chief goal in life is my personal pleasure. And that's, that's what hedonism is. And James says, you know what? The reason that you fight, the reason that you argue, the reason that all this happens is because inside of you, you put yourself at the center and it produces these things because you are in it for you, for what you want. But here's the good thing. It doesn't have to be that way. I mean, it doesn't have to be that way. Think about it. The, the fact, the, the very reason that Jesus came to earth, died on the cross, and rose from the grave was he came to heal relationships. He, he came to heal relationships. We had put ourselves at the center, and because of that, it had broken a relationship with God. And so Jesus came, and he took our punishment so that he could heal that relationship with God. And because he healed a relationship with God, it also affects relationships with other people. And that's why Jesus came. See, his life and sacrifice, it, it changed everything and it gave us the opportunity to have a close relationship with God. It gave us the opportunity to pull ourselves out of the center and put God back in the center and from that it affects our relationships with other people. And Paul, a guy that was uh, one of the biggest opponents to Jesus who later became one of the biggest advocates and the greatest missionaries of all time, in a letter he wrote to some friends of his in the city of Ephesus, he talks about communication and he talks about what it looks like when someone has Jesus at the center. And and so if you have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 4, and I want you to think, don't, don't think of this if you're watching online or you're here, don't think of this abstractly. And here's what I mean. Don't think of this like, wow, that's so good for somebody else. I'm glad they're here to hear that. No, think about your own relationships. Think about your marriage. Think about your, your dating relationships. Th- think about those relationships and, man, who's been at the center? And when we communicate, who is really at the center? And, and, and could that be different? Paul says it this way in his letter to, to the people of Ephesus. He says, but that, that is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. And so basically Paul kind of starts this section and he says, hey, 
remember, Jesus is a part of your life now. And because of that, you, when Jesus becomes a part of your life, he kind of renovates you from the inside out. And so almost like taking off a dirty shirt and putting on a new one, man, you, you remove some of those things in your life and Jesus helps you do that. And you become a different person. Jesus helps you take off the old and he helps you put on the new and, and helps renew your mind and renovate your heart. And he says this in verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of truth. And so he starts this little section by just reminding them of, hey, when you made Jesus the center, and if you're here or you're watching and you're still investigating faith, what Paul's talking about, he's talking about what happens when somebody becomes a follower of Jesus. They, God just supernaturally helps him take off some of that old stuff, and he renews or renovates their mind with truth and things that are good. Sometimes, and, and I'm sorry if you were taught this, there's some people out there that teach, hey, in order to have a relationship with God, you got to get all cleaned up, make sure you get all the junk out of your life, and, and man, once you get it all taken out, once you get everything fixed up, then you're good enough to kind of come and, and maybe God will accept you then. But what Paul's saying is, hey, man, you, you come, and when, when you come, Jesus renovates your heart. He renovates your mind. He helps you put on what's new and good and truthful, and he helps you remove what's not. And that's part of starting a relationship with God. And then here's what Paul says. Because that's taken place, let me tell you how it affects your relationships and specifically how you communicate. Because Jesus is inside of you, because he's taken away some of the old and put on some of the new, because of what he's done in your life, here's how it affects your communication. Verse 25, he says this, therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. The first thing he says here is it relates to our communication is he says, be honest. He says, be honest. He says, put away lying. Speak the truth. No matter how insignificant and somehow in our world, and I, I don't know where it's at or what was the kind of the cause of it, but somehow in our world, we have taken this idea of integrity and lies and we put them on scales. So, oh, there's some appropriate lies, and there's some things that I'm okay to be a little deceitful about, and I can lie about this a little bit, and I can lack integrity in this area. But then, of course, there's the big ones that I would never do that in. And here's what Paul's saying. Man, in your relationships, in your marriage, in your dating relationships, man, tell the truth. Be honest. A relationship is built on trust. And if your girlfriend or boyfriend or your husband or wife, if they don't trust you, if they can't believe you, then your relationship's going to be affected, the health of it. And let's, let's think about this. This plays out in a lot of different ways. It plays out in exaggeration. We exaggerate a lot. It plays out in when our body language and our words don't match up. How you doing? Fine. Like, oh, oh really? Because your, your body language and your words, like, are you really doing fine? 
but you're obviously not really doing fine. And we all do that. So we have these little ways that we're just, we're deceitful and we lie in our relationships and it, it causes our relationships not to be as healthy because we do not communicate with truth. We use words like always and never, which are not true. You always do that. You never, like really, I never do? And so even in those little ways, we exaggerate and we're not honest. And because of that, it affects the health of our relationships. I remember when Lori and I, and you guys know this if you've been around here, about seven, eight years ago, Lori and I, we were in marriage counseling. And man, we were going through a rough stretch and 99% of it was my fault. And that's not an exaggeration. It might actually be a little higher than that, but it was my fault. And so we were in counseling. And my counselor, uh, I'm a, I'm, I have an issue with sometimes being manipulative with my words. You're like, great, you're speaking and you're the pastor. That makes me feel so good that you actually manipulate people. Uh, hopefully I don't anymore, but back then. And I was very diplomatic in how I said things. And so in our counselor's office, I would be talking, and one thing where he just kind of nailed me to the wall on this, I said, hey, the reason I don't tell Lori that is I just don't want to make her upset. That sound is so good. Like, oh, you're such a good husband. But you know what he did? And I I never thought of this until he nailed me, and then I was like, oh, you got me, dude, so much. I didn't even know that, but that is so true. He said, dude, you're not, not telling her because you're cared about her feelings, You're not telling her the truth because you care about yourself and you don't want to deal with her and maybe what comes if you tell her the truth. And I thought, oh, dang it, drop the mic. Okay, what do I need to do? I, you know, that was a moment. And it was one of those moments where it was like, man, it is so, if if you're going to have a healthy dating relationship, marriage, there has to be a trust factor where you can believe the other person because they're honest with you. Then Paul, he goes on and gives us some more real practical advice as it relates to our communication. He says this, he says, be angry and do not sin. And so that should let some of us off the hook. And and here's what I mean. Like there's a place for anger, but there's also a place where anger goes too far. And there's, there's, there's some things we should be angry about, but he says, Hey, be angry and do not sin. And then he says this, Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. And so kind of the second thing that Paul tells us that is so key if we're going to have healthy relationships is solve problems quickly. Solve problems quickly. When we put off solving problems, here's what we're doing. We're putting ourselves in the center of our relationship because we don't maybe want to deal with the drama. We don't want to deal with the issues. We don't want to have the hard conversation. And so we we don't solve problems and we kind of try to hope they all go away on their own. And what happens is bitterness builds up. And what Paul's saying to us, he's saying, hey, when Jesus is at the center of your communication, you will rarely go long with unresolved conflict. Solve problems quickly. And if possible, do it before you go to bed. I mean, he, he gives it like really practical, like, hey, before the sun goes down, before your day's over, step into that hard conversation and solve problems quickly. And, and here's how he says, he says, when you don't, And when I don't, here's what we're doing. We're giving the enemy a foothold in our relationship. 
We're giving the enemy a foothold to, to make us bitter on the inside and, and to you know, get, put a callus over our heart. When we don't solve problems, they don't go away. They have babies. And those babies have babies. And, and it causes issues. And so he says, hey, man, be honest, be truthful, but also solve problems quickly. This week, I think on Thursday... Uh, We're going to put a blog out that's going to talk to you guys and to me about, man, how do you practically have some of those conversations and solve problems in your relationships? And and Paul, he says, man, solve problems quickly. But then he says this. Look, Look at the screen. It says, let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. And then here's verse 29. No foul language should come from your mouth. So this idea of foul language, the, 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 the picture that Paul is thinking about is, man, when, and I used to do this. I used to work at a, when I was a teenager, uh, I worked, and in college, I worked at a summer camp. And so I, I worked in the dish pit and in the kitchen, and there was, if you've ever worked in a kitchen, you know this, you have like a trash can where you throw away trash, but then you also have a compost can. And that's where you take all the, the food that's left over and you scrape all the plates and all that old food that everybody's already gnawed on goes in that compost bucket. And usually what this camp would do is they would take it and they'd give it to pigs or do different stuff like that. But if you've ever been around a compost bucket, just immediately it's disgusting. Like if you're around it right when it gets filled up, it's nasty. But if that thing happens to sit out, and this would happen at this camp once in a while, if it happens to sit out a day or two and on a summer day, it goes from nasty to ripe, disgusting, just ugh. And here's what, when, when Paul's talking about foul language, he's talking about what that, that idea of like rotten meat, rotten food. He, that's the picture, spoiled food that he's talking about. He says, no foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. So basically what Paul's saying is saying, hey, encourage instead of attack with your words and your relationships. See, our words should be conduits of grace, but a lot of times we use our words as weapons. And we've all done this, haven't we? We've all done this where, man, our relationships, your, your girlfriend, your husband, your wife, your, they should, when, when they're around you, even if you had to have a hard conversation and even if it was a, a tough subject to talk about, it should be a life-giving conversation. They should feel encouraged. They should feel built up. They should feel like, hey, man, this is helping me become more like Jesus. But yet, man, let's be honest. We use our words as weapons. And we usually do it to the people we love the most. I mean, once in a while, the dude cuts you off in traffic that you don't know, and you flick him off and say a word that you probably shouldn't say in church, and so you say something mean to that person. But most of the time, we use our words to hurt people we love the most. You you know that, and, and so do I. And here's sometimes why we do it. Because we've been hurt, and so we want to hurt other people. And most of the time, we're smart enough not to go punch him in the face, because we know that wouldn't go well, but we can get away with 
cutting them down. We can get away with poking at them with our words. We can get away with making them feel small. And we do that. And here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, man, if you want to have a healthy relationship and have Jesus at the center of your communication, then you need to use your words to encourage instead of attack. And then he closes a section and he says this. Verse 30, and don't grieve the God's Holy Spirit, which that should catch our attention, honestly. That did you know that how you use your words can actually grieve the Holy Spirit that's inside you? If you're a follower of Jesus, we, we believe that when you became a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit came and indwelt you. And man, he, he's there to convict you. He's there to encourage you. He's there to do a lot of great things for you. But when we use our words in a way that isn't healthy, we can actually grieve the Holy Spirit that's inside of us. And so Paul says, don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. And then he says this in verse 31. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. And then he uses a word that your mom, even if you didn't grow up in church, your mom probably used this verse on you. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. And so Paul is basically what he's saying. He's saying, Man, in your relationships, in your communication, act, don't react. See, bitterness, anger, malice, yelling, shouting, wrath, all those things are reactions. Somebody does something to us and it's our reaction and we get angry and we get bitter and we get kind of uh, stuff going on inside. But, but this idea of being kind and compassionate and forgiving that's usually not natural. Like getting angry, pretty natural. Somebody does something to you, somebody hurts you, man, it's super easy to react. Your wife does something, your husband does something, your boyfriend lets you down, your girlfriend says something that hurts your feelings. It's super easy to come back hard and react and get bitter or angry or shout or raise your voice. But being kind... Being compassionate, being gracious, forgiving, doesn't come natural. And so Paul's saying, man, in your relationships and specifically your communication, there's some things that you got to move away from, some, some ways you react. And then there's some other things that, that the Holy Spirit's inside of you to help you be kind and compassionate and gracious and forgiving and use your words in a life-giving way. It doesn't happen naturally, but because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, He empowers you to do it. But don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Think about your last week. Be honest. If you're watching online, I want you to think. Think about your last week. Think about your communication. Think about how you communicated with your girlfriend, boyfriend, your spouse, even with your kids. Think about how you communicated. Have you found yourself doing a lot of reacting this past week? 
Have you found yourself maybe using harsh tones when you've talked to people that you love? Have you found yourself being impatient with your words? Have you found yourself raising your voice when, man, there was no reason to raise your voice? Have you found yourself doing a lot of reacting? If we're honest, we all probably would say, yeah, more than I would like to admit. Yeah, there was more impatience and more harsh tones and more reacting than I... uh, than I'd really like to have in my life. Which brings us back to that question. It's a simple question. Who's at the center of the communication in your relationship? Think about it. Think about your life. Think about your spouse. Think about your girlfriend. Think about your relationships. Who's at the center? You? If you're at the center, then then probably you lie when it's convenient. If you're at the center of your dating relationship, you lie to your boyfriend or your girlfriend when it's convenient. You Maybe if you're at the center of your relationship or if I put myself at the center of my relationship with my wife, then you know what? I probably avoid having harder conversations because I don't want to deal with it. If I'm at the center of my relationships, and if you're at the center of your relationships, then probably we use our words to manipulate or even hurt. We probably say this phrase a lot, I didn't really mean what I said. You find yourself saying that a lot? If I'm at the center, then that's what it looks like. But if Jesus is at the center, then you know what? My words are characterized by honesty, grace, encouragement. What I say, even if it is in the midst of a tough conversation, is life-giving. And so think about your own relationship. Think about your communication. Who's at the center of your communication in your relationship? And if we were to be like really want to know, we should probably ask the other person. Like, go ask my wife, who's at the center of our communication, how I communicate to her. Ask your girlfriend, ask your boyfriend. Like, if you really want to know, ask them. And if they're not at the center, then they'll be honest with you. They'll tell you the truth. Who's at the center of your relationships? Who's at the center of your communication? Because here's, here's what I know, no matter if you're watching online or you're here this morning, no matter where you stand as it relates to faith, maybe you're investigating faith, no matter where you are as it relates to relationships right now, maybe you're married, maybe you're divorced, maybe you're single, maybe you're dating somebody, who's at the center of your communication has huge ramifications on the health of your relationships And here's what I know, and you know this too because you've seen it play out. It doesn't just have huge ramifications on your relationship, but it has huge ramifications on other people that you love and that it will have ramifications long after you're gone. And you know that because some of you are still hurting because of somebody that's not even around anymore but because they put themselves at the center and they used their words as weapons and manipulated you with their words, you're still feeling the effects of that. So the question is, who's at the center? And maybe you're like, okay, Chris, I'm good, dude. Uh, Okay, I I get it. I admit it, man. I, I struggle in this area. Yeah, 
I admit, more than, more than I want to say, I probably put myself at the center. Yeah, you could go ask my wife or my girlfriend. Yeah, you would probably find out that I'm kind of selfish. I'm kind of hurtful in some of the things I say. What can I do to change? Like, I get it. I know I have this issue. Real quickly, first thing you can do and the first thing I can do is you can own it. Here's what I mean. Quit blaming circumstances. Quit blaming, I had a tough day at the office. Quit blaming the other person. Man, own it. No, the reason I treated you bad, Lori, the reason I was impatient with you, is not because of you, it's because of what's going on inside of me. I, we have to own it. Until we're ready to own it, we're never going to get health in this area. We have to own the fact that the reason we communicate the way we do, the reason we use our words as weapons isn't because of somebody else or because of somebody else that didn't treat us right 20 years ago. It's because of what is on the inside of me. We have to own it. But then the second thing we have to do, we have to be willing to ask for help. we got to ask God for help. I mean... Every morning, man, when you, before you go to work, before you interact with that person, man, it, it's coming before God and saying, God, today I need your help to put you at the center and to use my words to love and encourage and give life instead of manipulate and hurt. Ask for help. But then also, man, we need to ask for help, not from, just from God, but from other people. That's why I think city groups are so important. Man, those, those groups, when we get together, we have seven groups that meet throughout the week. And man, we need other people. I need other people in my life to help me, to love me, to hold me accountable, to encourage me, to pray for me in my struggles. I need other people. And I need to have some people in my life that I can be honest with and say, hey, I struggle in this area. I use my words in a way that is not helpful to my wife or to, to my, in my relationship. Can you, would you hold me accountable? Would you pray for me? Would you be honest with me and help me? Ask for help. But then the last thing, and then we're about done, is we got to change our thinking. we got to replace some lies that we have in our mind with truth. Just yesterday morning, I was sitting at uh, Lumberjacks with uh, a group of guys, and we're working through the book of James. And at the end of our time together, we said, hey, we, we finished up James chapter 1, and we said, hey... What passage in James chapter 1 do we all feel we need to kind of memorize? We wanted to pick a, a passage that we could memorize and put to memory. And every single one of us said the same passage, and it, it was this. In James chapter 1, it's in verse 19, it says this. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. And you know what we're going to do over this next couple weeks before we meet is we're all, because we all felt like we needed to memorize this verse for our own self. We needed to replace some lies and some things that we do and think with truth so that we could use our words better. And you, you're probably just like us. If you could fix it just by trying harder, you already would have. 
It's not going to get fixed just by being a little bit more disciplined or counting to 10. It's going to get fixed when lies in my heart are replaced with truth and I hold on to that truth. So no matter where you are as it relates to faith, just like me, man, you want to have healthy relationships. And that will not happen if we put ourselves at the center. See, when we put Jesus at the center, here's what we're saying. We're saying, Jesus, your way is best. The way you tell me to communicate is right. Your way's best. I'm putting you at the center. As we close, maybe you're here or you're watching online and you would say, hey, Chris, not really a follower of Jesus. I'm still kind of investigating. I, I don't know, honestly even know if I buy into the whole Jesus thing. How would I take this and apply this? Well, here's what I would say to you. I would say lean into what Jesus is saying here. Jesus wants to have a relationship with you, and, and, and he, he wants to come into your life. He wants to transform your life, and, and he wants to help you in these areas. And so I would tell you, man, man, investigate harder. Ask more questions because Jesus came, he died, rose from the grave so that he could have a relationship with you. And when he has a relationship with you, he gives you power to do what his word says, and we need it. Maybe you're here, you're watching online, and you would say, hey, Chris, I mean, I'm a follower of Jesus. There's been a time in my life where I have believed the gospel. I have asked Jesus to save me, and I'm a follower of Jesus. But I have to answer this question in my mind. Is what we're talking about really best? Is being kind and compassionate, I know that sounds good, and it quotes well, but is that really the best way to do life? Is it really best to be gracious and compassionate and encouraging? That's not how I was raised. And Is that really best? And I would encourage you to press in and trust that it is best. And if you struggle in this area, own your struggle. Don't make an excuse, and I'm talking to myself. Own it. Ask for help. You, you need other people, so do I. And then the last thing we talked about is change your thinking. Replace lies with truth. And as you do that, and you have people around you helping you, I believe over time you'll see a change in your communication. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for just a practical way that you help us in such an important area of our life like communication. And God, none of us want to get to the end of our life and look back and, and see scars and see drama and see all the ways that we hurt other people with our words because we kept ourselves at the center. But Lord, if we're honest, and I know for me, that's a struggle. I struggle with putting myself at the center. And God, I pray that you would do a work in our heart, even this morning, that we would, even in the middle of, of church, as we're watching online, that we would just, between you and us, that we would just admit where we've stumbled and that we would own the fact that we don't do a good job in this. 
That we would own the fact that, yeah, we do put ourselves at the center. And Lord, then we come before you and we just ask for help. Like, we need you. We want to have life-giving conversations. We want people to be encouraged. But we need your help. God, I pray you would help us. That you would point people out that we could just even get next to that could help us. And Lord, I pray that we would be willing to put the time in to change our thinking. Thank you, God, that we have hope because of what you did on the cross. Thank you that we don't have to walk through life alone. And God, I pray now that you would speak very specifically to us and that we would say yes and have the courage to obey. In Jesus' name, amen.